This episode of Wheat Pete's Word is brought to you by Infinity FX Herbicide from Bayer. Good day and welcome to Wheat Pete's Word here on Real Agriculture for Wednesday, August the 31st on this episode of The Word. Man, we are so lucky here in Ontario. We should we just have to be thankful. Hey, yields look better than we expected they would. Oh, by the way, people really do notice what you do. Hmm, better be aware of that. And as many specifics around crop production and agronomy as I can get to at the end of the tape. Let's go. First off, last week I did two. Yes, you heard it right. Count them two words. I did my Wednesday update. I also did what we called a wordlet. Well, actually, Lindsay Smith here at Real Agriculture called it a wordlet. I find that really hard to say. Uh, A mini word episode on Friday. On that episode, I talked about wheat seeding rates and what we've learned out of the yen. I think that's a great discussion. We also talked about getting the winter canola in the ground. September the 1st is no longer too early. And we talked about fertilizer both on wheat and ahead of next year's corn crop. So if you haven't caught that, any of those topics grab you, then maybe you want to go back and catch that. By the way, I did two episodes last week because I simply was not keeping up on the agronomic side of things. Maybe it begs the question, would you prefer two word episodes a week and a little bit shorter or one longer version? You can let me know. I'm not going to do two words every week regardless, but let me know what your preference is. Eh, It's always good information to to have uh, fed back to me. All right, got to move on. And yes, August the 31st, the last day... Mm, the last day of meteorological summer. Dang it, fall is coming. Okay, in Johnson's world, fall does not happen till September 21st. I no, Not a chance, not going to believe that. But wow, the last day of meteorological summer. And definitely we can, we can start to feel that in the air, just the, the temperatures overnight, the amount of humidity that we're getting, those are typical fall conditions. Before I, I move on, I just want to mention that, wow, I can't tell you, I bet you 15 or 20 people, Hugh was the last guy, sent me an email and with some plot data. So Hugh, thank you for that. That's awesome. Mark Davis also sending some excellent plot data. Keep it coming. Jen Dolman sending uh, plot information. The more I get, the more I learn, the more I expertise or the more information I have to extend on the word. So really appreciate all those things. But Hugh, when he sent it to me, he said, hey, Peter, you know, you said wheat yields were good. I think here where we farm, we were one rain away or one rain short from a really good wheat crop. I open up his document and the poorest wheat yield he's got is 120 bushels per acre and the top wheat yields are over 140 bushels per acre. One rain short. Wow, Zuri's man. <laughs> I love it. I love it when great yields just aren't good enough. Hey, the other thing is the final Ontario Cereal Crop Committee data is up. So yes, in area one, we did drop the Ridgetown data. It changes the numbers. You'll see bigger spreads. And I think that's a good thing. It, it's 
better information because Ridgetown was diluting it. I'm, I'm not going to go into those details. The other really interesting thing, and Dr. Dave Hooker, Ridgetown Campus University of Gulf, uh, we've taught, we, we utilize Dave a lot here on the Word, but he really pointed out that, wow, Area 5, the response to fungicides isn't big on average. But the swings in varieties, you look at that data, and, and I mean, we did look at the data, it's valid data, but how one variety could go negative response to fungicides by a significant amount, the next one goes positive, and you average everything out, and, it, and it's basically two or three bushels, but wow, that is really interesting data, and you just kind of scratch your head and say, hmm. I do not understand what is going on there. Full stop right there. Okay, I want to just go on and say, hey, everyone in Ontario, we really do need to understand just how incredibly fortunate we, we are to live in this part of the world. Wow, Pakistan, the monsoons there, one third of the country is underwater. And that is just... Uh, that boggles my brain. I cannot get my brain around that, what that would look like here in Ontario. Meanwhile, in Ontario, it's late August. It is just like paradise because the grocery store shelves are full of fresh produce directly from the field. Sweet corn, which is my favorite, just awesome. And uh, tomatoes and peaches and you name it. And we, we really do live in a land of plenty, and we need to be thankful for that. Around that, the other thing as farmers that we need to be thankful for is the technology that we have access to. So Terry Daynard tweeting out a nice article from France where some new technology on a corn header there, and they're trying to get get attachments to the corn header to stomp the corn stalks and, and break them apart so that the corn borer cannot overwinter in the corn stalks. Man, we haven't had to worry about corn borer in Ontario since, what, 1995 when the first BT genetics came in? And, I mean, resistance management is always a big deal. We'll talk about that as well. But, but the technology we have here in terms of weed control and insect resistance management, and we are really fortunate because it, it really has helped us increase production and not have to use other management tools that can sometimes be a lot more frustrating or a lot more challenging. So we're lucky there. And Nick, my great friend, Nature Nut Nick, saying in an email to me, man, Peter, I am really concerned that we are not taking the stewardship message seriously. At field days and the amount of, of reliance on fungicide application after fungicide application or insecticide and we look at, at the resistance that we've gotten into, resistant rootworm, spider mites being resistant, different diseases becoming resistant to, to various fungicides. Like we just have to do better. And Nick, I could not agree more. All the way through, even with nitrogen fertilizer and this whole emissions issue, and it's not a reduction in fertilizer use. Get your brain around that. It started out there, but we've, we've managed to, to turn that Titanic. We've got that ship turned before it hit the iceberg, or at least it looks like we have. 
But still, nitrogen, we need it. There's no question we need it to have food security. But growers also need to understand the impact it has on the environment, and we need to manage it better. Similarly, with fungicides, prophylactic use has to stop. Insecticides, we just, we have to get better at targeting them where, they, where they're needed and where they will give us benefit and not just using them because we want, uh, because it's the easy answer. It's the insurance answer. Okay, off my pul pulpit and let's go. Yield estimates, man, really looking better than what we anticipated. Tomato harvest, uh, just big yields coming out of some of the tomato harvest and the yield tours going across the province right now, finding a lot better yields than people expected. The, the bottom line, I think, is that the good areas in the field or the good areas in the province seem to be outweighing the poor areas. We won't know for sure where all those numbers shake out until the, the official results and until harvest, really. But wow, so far, estimates better than we really expected. One of those factors, though, that we don't know about is kernel weight. And I find really interesting some of the Twitter discussion. So Austin from Western Kansas tweeted out, I hate living in this area. They're super dry. And he had a picture of a corn cob with one kernel. And, of course, Dr. Dave saying, yeah, but that's a big kernel. And it is a big kernel. And I challenged he and Tony Vine uh, for the, the ag conference a year ago that Colonel weight is everything. And of course, Dave has to, has to sh just ram that at me a little bit saying, I remember that comment. Colonel weight is everything. But when you only have one Colonel, it can't weigh enough. Paul Hermans from Pioneer, uh, uh, Corteva rather, tweeting out that 15% of the final yield is determined by kernel weight. And so that's a really interesting number. Um, I, I mean, it's genetic, it's weather, but we're, we're in that kernel weight phase in grain fill right now. So that final 15%. And Dave Panko out of Nebraska, we all talk about you know, the number of kernels on a cob and, and Dave's comment on the one kernel on a cob not being enough proves that kernels on the cob are important. But Dave Panko out of Nebraska tweeting a picture out of a cob from his cornfield, 32 rows around, 72 kernels long. <laughs> like it's just, he could, you can't put your hand around. Like it's, it's just a massive, that's, 2,300 kernels per cob. And we think we've done pretty well if we get six, 650, 700. But then you back up and say, wait a minute, Nebraska. So they only plant like uh, 12, 13,000 plants per acre because they're such a dry climate unless they're under irrigation. Anyway, it's a huge cob. And and with that many kernels, if you had kernel weight, wowzers, would you have big yield? So just a bit more on that because I find this really interesting. Uh, Paul Herman's again with the solar radiation and solar radiation in eastern Ontario at least. I'm, I'm not sure if it's true in southwestern Ontario, but from mid-July on, they have had below average solar radiation. Now, the weather forecast right now for the first half of September is Give it, baby. Sunshine, lollipops, warm temperatures, cool nights, just, just what you'd like for heavy kernel weight. But below average solar radiation from mid-July till basically the end of August, 
solar radiation counts. So that is a really, it just twigs at the back of your brain around kernel weight and whether or not we'll make good yields. Uh, the other thing I will say is August rainfall, and it's been all over the map, but man, the August rainfall in many cases has really made the edible bean crop and the soybean crop. I, I mean, my own farm, 193 millimeters, eight inches of rain in August, almost none in July. So you just go, hmm, the bean crop could be better than we think, except for the early beans, the, the cranberry beans, you know, the short season edibles, the short season soybeans, and this is going to hurt me because I want short season soybeans to plant my wheat on time, but those short season crops really going to take it on the chin. Hey, people notice, so, so on my own farm, the wheat came off, we were waiting on straw to get baled, and it took a little while, and then all of a sudden, my dairy neighbor across the road said, hey, Peter, we have some extra liquid dairy manure you're, you're close. Do you want to buy it? Like uh, uh, we don't have room to put it anymore. Uh, dang it, that's a good deal. Johnson's buying manure if he can get it. And then, of course, it took a while to get the manure on. And I generally would no-till my oat cover crop, just run through it with the drill. Just, just ran out of time. So we got it broadcast on and we actually, I hired my great neighbor, Dietrich's Eric, who went out and he ran over it with the joker to incorporate both the manure and that oat seed. And about six people have sent me emails or texts or, or left me voicemail messages saying, hey, what happened to Peter No-Till? That was my name before Wheat Pete. Uh, that, did, did you quit farming that farm? Because, man, does it not look like no-till anymore. Yes, you do different things. We wanted to incorporate the manure, incorporate the oats. And, of course, we got that done. The oats hadn't quite emerged. And last Monday, I think it was, or just this past Monday, we got 2.6 inches of rain and heavy thunderstorms. My hills at the back, ah, oh, erosion. Anyway, people do notice. I need to move on. So let's go on the agronomy side. So since a comment from a, a grower, since we took glyphosate out of our pre-harvest desiccation on edible beans, man, our weed control has just gone all to heck. So think about that. Fall glyphosate. Now, it's September glyphosate on edible beans, but fall glyphosate and weed control just much better. Hmm, is there a lesson there? Yes, there is. When the soybeans come off, if the edibles, I mean, if you're pulling, and th then it doesn't work. But if you're direct combining those edibles, even when you get done combining, I think some, a fall burn down, fall weed control is so critical. So get out there and do that if you can. Even mid-November in corn stalks, we have seen very good control of things like sow thistle and dandelions. Uh, not so good on things like bindweed because they shut down earlier, but fall weed control matters. There's no question about that. Another grower saying, hey, Peter, the silage crop, man, the corn looks really, really short. I think there's going to be a lot of people that need forage come next spring. What's the right seeding rate on triticale or on rye after my silage corn? And 
how come they always talk pounds per acre? That's a really good question. I actually went back to Tom Kilser. He's sort of the triticale guru out of New York State, or at least that's where he did the majority of his research. And of course, New York State is a dairy state. And all of his research on seeding rate on triticale is in pounds per acre. I was like, what? What? hello? The seed, by the way, the pounds per acre on rye, there was a, a New York study, and, and it varied from something like 8,000 seeds per pound to as high as 35,000 seeds per pound. And you just go, well, it must be pretty small rye seed. Anyway, at the end of the day, you don't need as many seeds as you think. What you really need is early planting. Of course, you can't do much about that following the silage crop other than get it planted as quickly as you can. Do not apply manure. Do not pass go. The, the, the forage harvester is going down the field, and unless you're making a mess, the no-till drill is chasing it, putting that cereal rye or that triticale in the ground. Seeding rate in his data, or pardon me, seeding date in his data is everything. He talks 100 pounds per acre. I looked at a bunch of other th things trying to figure that out. So 1.2 million seeds per acre is in the game if you're early. 1.5 million if it's late. The other things, if you're early, fall nitrogen matters. It doesn't for grain production. It doesn't for winter wheat. But now we want to maximize tillers. We want to push that rye, that triticale to tiller in the fall. And so... The, the New York data would say 60 pounds of nitrogen. It's probably a little high for much of Ontario because we're shorter season than much of New York State. But 30, 40, 50 pounds of nitrogen in the fall and a bit of sulfur so that we maximize fall tillers is really more important than seeding rate. But seeding date trumps everything. Okay, i got to move on here quickly. Uh, Andy asking about cruiser on wheat seed. Man... If you're not planting ultra early and you need the cruiser to stop the aphids or you don't have a wireworm problem, we're back into stewardship. Simply don't put the cruiser on the wheat seed. And he comes back and says, well, this is probably going to get planted 25th of September-ish. Now, by then, aphids aren't a problem. No wireworm. We don't need cruiser in that uh, scenario. Last thing that I'll cover because I'm out of time, Mike. Hog manure wants to go strip till is saying how much nitrogen loss in that scenario will I get rather than my old system where I drag lined the manure on and incorporate it two days later. Well, actually in the fall, Mike, after wheat, the difference is really, really small. If it was in the spring, then it makes more difference because the incorporation has a huge impact. By the way, two days later, you've already lost 50%, roughly 50% of the ammonium nitrogen. And so the only difference is how much more of that ammonium nitrogen do you lose in the fall? And then how much of that will actually carry into the spring? And the answer is you probably only lose at most 10% of your nitrogen, leaving it on the surface versus incorporating it two days later in the fall, in that scenario, uh, what you will have, though, is a bit more odor that your neighbors might not appreciate. And with that, I am out of time. That's it. That's all on behalf of the team here at Real Agriculture. This is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, August the 31st. Keep the comments and the questions coming, and I'll just keep talking for way too long. See you next week. Thank you for downloading this episode of Wheat Pete's Word, brought to you by Infinity FX Herbicide. 
Infinity FX herbicide with its three modes of action, group 4, 6, and 27, provides fast-acting control against your toughest broadleaf weeds like Canada fleabane. And as an optimal resistance management tool, Infinity FX takes care of tough weeds so that you have time to get back to the parts of farming you really enjoy.